A, lo a long time ago, uh, Sundeep, I don't know if Sundeep's here, but Sundeep phoned me. I was drifting further and further away from God and away from faith and away from church. And Sundeep phoned me, and I think he, te no, sorry, he was texting me, and he texted me this text. I'd been ignoring him for about a year, as you do. <laughs> and uh, he texted me, and he said, um, Jack, I'm not sure if this is your number anymore, but this is the last text I'm going to send. And I don't know, for whatever reason, at that moment, I just thought, I just, I should just reply. And I ended up replying, and Sundeep texted me back, and he said, there's this new American at church. I'd really love you to come and meet him. And uh, all that time ago, I came and met Chris, and we sat. And for whatever reason, uh, God just spoke to me through Chris. And uh, for years, um, we built a friendship, built a ministry together. Uh, I lived with you and your family for two years, and uh, it's so important uh, to, to never forget the influence that we're having on each other all the time, but uh, so much of who I am would not have been without these guys. So I personally am so thankful for you here, um, and uh, it's sad to see you go, but I know it's what, what God has. Anyway, where's the tissues? <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, um, we're in week three of this uh, new collection of talks, and I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're being blessed by it. I know I certainly am. Where we're thinking about testimony, and we're thinking about the whole idea behind it, and we're really trying to focus ourselves into think about testimony, not just as a whole life journey, of course, which it is, but we're also trying to think of a testimony as what's happening in our life now. What is God doing in the, the momentary? What's he doing right now in us consistently as we journey and follow with Jesus? What is our testimony right now? And like I said, I hope you're enjoying it. Week one, uh, we looked at how uh, when you start to follow Jesus, we looked at Levi, we start to, uh, it can change the whole trajectory of your life. When you give your life to Jesus, it can change everything. And we looked at the calling of Levi or Matthew. And then last week, week two, we looked at how Jesus can, can take a, a life or death situation and totally transform it with the woman at Nain. And, and this week, I'm going to look again at uh, Luke's gospel, and we're going to look at another situation, thinking about storms. Um, thinking about storms, but really, if you're just kind of catching up with us, uh, just to give a little bit of a definition of testimony, particularly if this is your first time in church, I want to say you're so welcome, and uh, please don't be thrown off by any language. Uh, find someone to ask later on or whatever, or just Google it on your phone like I do normally. Um, but if you've missed something, testimony is really about like a public profession of something or like declaring something. It's about being a witness to something. It's really, but then in our Christian context, it's about saying, this is what God has done, isn't it? It's about saying, this is what God is doing in my life. It's not about saying, look at me, look how good I am and what I've overcome. It's about saying, hey, I would have nothing if it wasn't for Jesus. This is all about God, all about what he and his power through his spirit is doing in my life. I am because of Christ. That's what a testimony is. And like I was saying, it's not just about what God has done throughout your entire life. It's about getting us to think as the church, as the body of Christ now, what did God do yesterday? What's he getting me through right now? What storms am I facing right now that Jesus is pulling me through, that in his power he is getting me through? And if you're sitting there and you're saying, I don't know about that, I hope today you are going to be kind of, your mind will be sort of brought to different things that God is doing in you right now. Um, testimony is so important. It does two things. Testimony, well actually it does so much, but two main things it does. is The first one, it, it builds up the church and the believer. 
When we give testimony, it does something in us. It wells our confidence up in us that's unbelievable, and it does something for the church. We've heard two people share so far in this testimony season. We're going to hear someone else. I don't know you. I'm just so encouraged by their testimony. I'm encouraged by the confidence that they share. I'm encouraged by what God is doing in their life. But just before I I really get started and we go to scripture, um, can I just tell you something? Can I just remind you of this fact? I'm not sure how your week has been, what you feel like right now, or even if you feel like you belong in this place. Can I just tell you that Jesus loves you so much? He just loves you. That's the reality. He loves you. It's true. Everything is true. Everything that the Bible says is true. He is so for you, he loves you, and nothing you can do, nothing you can look like, nothing you can smell like, nothing you could say could turn him off of you. That's the truth of the gospel. Jesus loves you so much. And if you hear nothing else this morning, that's the main thing. Take that home with you. Please don't leave right now, but that's because I spent a lot of time preparing this. But if you hear nothing else, I'm dead serious. Just remember that, that Jesus loves you, and he longs to know you. I hope uh, and pray, as I was preparing and praying this week, that you will meet with that God. So let's go to our text. Uh, It's going to come up on the screen. Luke chapter 8. We're going to look from verse 22 to 25. Um, Just before I do that, I've called this message, The Crossing. The Crossing, right? I love a good title. I don't know about you. I just love titles. I think it's brilliant. Uh, If you could have like a sermon picture, I would also have a sermon picture. But uh, the crossing is my message, and we're going we're gonna to come to that. So let's read Luke chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, you can grab it, but it's also uh, going to come up on the screen. It says this, One day, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus, that is. A squall. Someone say squall. That's a fun word to say, isn't it? A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going down. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked the disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Amen. So I was trying to work out with Lauren there when I went, but one time uh, a wee while ago when I was doing some youth work, I was invited by Perth High to go on a trip to Austria. And it, I was busy with, with church stuff at that point, and uh, they phoned me and they said, um, you know, we're really looking for someone. The kids have asked if you would consider it as the chaplain. All the male teachers have dropped out. And uh, she said, I says, where are we going? She says, uh, we're going to Austria. It would be all expenses paid. I said, I'm there. I said, you don't need to worry. I'm there. I'm coming. And uh, I had it in my mind that we'd be going on this really exciting trip to Austria, I just have to look after a couple of young people. That would be great. Uh, the worst part of the whole trip was we were taking a bus. That was the worst part of it. And I remember the bus was going to go from Perth High School, just up the road, and we were going to go all the way down to uh, Dover, and that was going to be like a 12-hour journey. And then we were getting on the, you know, the ferry across, and then we were traveling all through France, all the way up to Austria. And uh, it was wild. I won't lie to you. I've seen things no one should ever see on a bus. 
It was something else. And, uh, but one of the main parts of the journey was that crossing uh, over to France. Now, I had never really been on this uh, crossing before. I'd been on boats and things, so I kind of knew what to expect, but I'd never been on a ship of this size. In my mind, I thought we were getting, leaving the bus there and getting on another one, so I didn't know we were taking the bus on the boat. Uh, I'd never really been on a, si- on a boat that size before. And uh, you have to have it in your mind, right, when I'm telling this story. I'm on this trip with 35 young people, right, and a few other teachers. Um, and uh, I knew no one when I went on the trip. No, not one young person I knew. Uh, maybe they'd seen me in an assembly or something like that, but there was no like, existing relationship. So the whole bus down to Dover, I'm thinking, I need to like, get to know them, know their names, all that sort of stuff. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it just doesn't work. They just didn't care. They didn't care. They didn't really know who I was. They didn't really want to chat to me. It was really tough. So by the time I got to the boat, I thought, right, we're up moving around now. This is my moment to shine. You know, I took my tattoos out. That always helps. And uh, I'm, I'm on this boat now, and uh, I won't lie to you, when we got there, the water was absolutely fine. There was no, it was a bit of a gloomy morning, but I never for the life of me thought there was going to be any sort of, it's not called turbulence, I don't know what you call it, <laughs> raging waves, a squall, that's it. But when I got on the boat, I could tell instantly that it was starting to kind of take a turn. The rain was on, the wind was on. And I'm, st- I'm still trying to impress these young people, do you know what I mean? And uh, there's this thing, it's like a viewing deck. Has anyone been on one of these ships before? Well, there's like this viewing deck that the, the doors open automatically and you go through. And I'm kind of with this group of young lads and they're all thinking they're cool as in. And, and I, I'm looking out on this viewing deck and all I can see is gray, cloudy, wet weather. And then a wee minute later, you start to kind of hear different things like people screaming because they're hanging on the side going, ah, like that. And I'm like this, I'm like, Jack, you need to get yourself together here. It's, I know there's something going on, I know there's a squall happening, but you need to get yourself involved and get out on the viewing deck. And I can see all that, the young guys, they're all out there having the time of their life, you know, in the gloom and the dark and the rain and the thunder and all that sort of stuff. And I'm thinking, you know that way where the doors kind of open and you're kind of like, kind of, should I go, should I not, you know? And I'm just, for the fear, I'm like, I need to go, I need to push myself through this. And eventually I go through, and I absolutely regretted it. Some of you thinking, my hair looks like I've been in a storm already. But that time, it honestly, it ruined my hair, and that was the worst thing for me, because all the gel just like, went in my eyes, and it looked like I'd been crying. It was the worst time ever, and I had to spend the next 20 minutes in the bathroom trying to get the gel out of my eyes. But we're going to talk this morning about storms or squalls or whatever you want to call it, windstorms. And we're going to talk about how Jesus responds in this moment. And I want to encourage you right now, we're going to talk about storms, but we're also uh, physical storms like I've just done. But we're also going to talk about the storms that we go through in our life. I want to tell you that um, when, when Jesus comes into this moment, it's a total picture of the gospel. Jesus, in the story, we hear that they've just been um, teaching, they've been preaching, they've been performing miracles throughout the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is tired, so they decide to go over the lake, to go over the crossing, where it's quieter, there's not so many people, not so many big cities, they're going to get a bit of a rest. Jesus is on the boat with the guys, and he thinks to himself, I'm with the fishermen now, they know what they're doing, I can leave them in charge. He goes for a rest. And you know, then eventually the storm breaks out and, and they all start to lose it. Now, we don't know exactly who was on the boat with him. We don't know which disciples were on the boat, but we probably reckon there's three or four of them with him, right? But most of the disciples, if not all of them, would have had experienced fishing. So when they go across the water and, and this wind storm breaks out, the squall kind of turns up, they actually would have been fairly comfortable with that. 
But the moment in the story that it gets difficult is when they say the, the boat starts to get swamped and it starts to become a bit of a dangerous situation. I don't know about you, but I have felt like that in my life where I'm in a storm in my life, whether it's financially, whether it's in whatever. I don't know what aspect of your life, but you feel like that and you kind of think, I've been through this before, it's going to be all right. And the next moment, water starts to come in, things start to get really difficult. And that's the moment where you start to go, well, what am I going to do now? Can I just tell you, this is a picture of the gospel, this story that we were lost, that our lives were in a storm, humanity was in a storm, we were lost, water's coming overboard, we are sinking fast. But then Jesus steps in. Then Jesus steps in and he comes and he brings it to life. He quietens the storm, he puts an end to the, the raging waves and calmness comes over. That's the cross, that we were lost in our sin, defeated by guilt, had nothing to offer. But then Jesus steps in and he puts himself on that cross. No one made him go. He puts himself on that cross and he nails to death, sin and shame, putting an end to that storm, putting an end to the raging waves. The thunder is gone and calmness comes around. That's the gospel, is it not? And I don't know what storm you're going through in your life right now, but Jesus is the answer. It's him, it's only him. Anyway, that's just a side note. All right, so I'm just kidding. So storms we face, that's my first point. You can jump there. I think um, it's probably fair to say that one of the greatest myths of Christian living is that when you start to follow Jesus, nothing bad ever happens to you. That's true, isn't it? It's a myth. And that's a myth that I think we can debunk right now. Just for a little moment, I'm going to ask you to look around in a wee second. Have a think about this. You won't need to think very hard, I, I don't think. If you're a Christian um, or you believe in Jesus, uh, I'd like you just for a moment, if you have ever had anything bad happen to you since you've been a Christian, would you just put your hand up in the air? Right, just quickly have a little peek around. Everyone's hand is up. The only people that is not are the perfect holy Christians. But most people, even after they've started following Jesus, bad things still happen, things still go wrong, we still face storms. And just as a side note, one of the devil's greatest tactics is to make you feel isolated. That's why I got you to have a look around, because one of the devil's greatest tricks is to make you think you're going through this thing on your own. To make you think you're, this is an isolated situation, this sin, this trouble, this storm you're facing. No one else has been through that. And you're going through this on your own. That's his greatest tactic because if he can isolate you, he makes you feel alone and it's only downhill from there. That's why we need the church. So that we can say, hey, I have been through something like that. I've, I've, I've dealt with that storm myself and God did this for me. That's the point of testimony. We're a family. We get through things with each other by the help of God. We have a God who is always with us. A God who will never leave us nor forsake us. The Bible says nothing could ever separate us from his love, not even ourselves. So you don't need to feel isolated. There's no storm, no bad thing, no season of failure is able to make God stop loving you. 
But we all face storms in our life. And maybe as I'm saying that, you might feel like you're in a bit of a storm today. You might feel like this is a kind of stormy season for you. And I want to tell you right now, this is not a place where you need to like pretend you're fine. It's not that kind of church. We're not that sort of church. It's absolutely okay to come in here broken and hurt. It's absolutely fine. In fact, it's welcomed and encouraged. Because we were all at that point once in our life. It might not be the same storm that you dealt with, but it's fairly similar. We've all felt storms in our life. And some of the storms that we might face, some types of storms that I'm trying to talk about, storms uh, financially, and I'm not going to ask you to like, put your hand up. What storm are you going through? It's not that. But just to jig your memory, financial storms, storms in your family, storms in your marriage, storms in addiction, storms to do with stress or, or mental health. These are storms that we go through in our life and perhaps not even once. What about storms in church? Woo! That offside, that one. What about storms we face in church and in ministry? Church, listen to me. If you find yourself in a storm today, you've come to the right place. By definition, when it's talking about a squall, what we're really discussing here is a powerful storm. It comes around in an instant. You couldn't have known, the disciples, they couldn't have known it was going to happen. Jesus might have known it was going to happen, but that's a different sermon. This is a freak storm that comes out of the blue. The storm is paired with heavy rain, wind, and thunder. Or Google definition said loud noises. I'm supposing it means thunder, but it probably also means the raging waves, all that noise. This is the kind of squall that we're talking about in the Bible. And um, I wanted to encourage you right now that when you're thinking about your own storms in your own life, we have this really cool thing about when we're Christians. We have this cool thing that we can, one, we can pretend, but we can also lessen our own storm. And I love that in the Bible, the disciples absolutely freak out at this storm. Because when we read the Bible, we know that they are professional fishermen or were professional fishermen. They would have been used to this type of storm. They would have seen it before. But they start to freak out. They start to go a bit mental. They start to be a bit scared. Their fear has come out. Church, it's okay for us to not know what to do. When you're in a storm, you don't have to have it all together. Even if you've been through something like it before, it doesn't matter what kind of experience the disciples had at this moment, it wasn't good enough. They needed something bigger, something more powerful. Please don't go through storms or your own thinking, it'll pass. I've been through this before. No, no, we have the answer. We have someone more powerful on our side. We have the spirit of Jesus in us. We don't need to do it on our own. Run to Jesus. That's what the disciples do. So Jesus is on the boat and he's gone for a quick nap. And just quickly, I love that Jesus goes for a nap. This isn't his first nap and it isn't his last nap. I love it. I absolutely love it because I think sometimes we read these kind of passages and we just kind of skip past that. We focus on the storm, which is important, but we forget that Jesus just took a nap. We also forget that he also ate food. Forget that. We think he just ate communion all the time. (laughs) That was funny. All right. So Jesus took a nap, and I've got to tell you, that when he takes a nap, it shows another aspect of his humanity. Jesus is fully God, fully man. And if he isn't that, the sacrifice doesn't work. 
He needs to be that. And just so you know, we're, we're looking at the scripture, and I'm, I'm trying to bring this out a little bit. I hope, I, hope it's, I hope it's helping. So all of a sudden, the storm comes out, and there's this dangerous situation. And they do something, point two. They run to Jesus. They go and wake Jesus up. They go straight to Jesus. Once they've kind of figured out that they're not going to be able to handle this storm, it's too big, they run to Jesus. And immediately, Jesus, in another version, they run to Jesus and then they say, Do you not care that we're perishing? Master, Master, wake up. They go and they run to Jesus. And the Bible says, In a moment, Jesus is awoke, he's ready, and he quietens the waters, quiets the storm, and it's over. Can I ask you a question? When storms come in your life, whatever space or sphere we've talked about, whether it's in your marriage, your financial situation, your mental health, your stress point, your church life, whatever storm you are facing, where do you run? Where do you go to? Where's your point of safety? Where's your safety net? Because what I'm trying to say here is when we're talking about testimony, these guys, after this happens to them, gosh, do they have a story to tell. We almost died on that boat. But Jesus, I almost died from my financial point. I almost died in my marriage. I almost died in this. It almost got me. But my Jesus saved me. Is that not our testimony, church? But where do you run? Because that isn't your testimony unless you run to him. The first thing the disciples do is they, they hang on to their experience. And I've kind of mentioned that already. Sometimes when we go through a storm in our life, we sort of think to ourselves, right, I've been through something kind of like this before. So I'm not going to tell anyone about it. I'm not going to tell my mom. I'm not going to tell my dad. I'm not going to tell my church family. I'm not going to tell any of my friends. I'm just going to quietly deal with it. And hopefully, it passes. That's what the disciples kind of do first. They start to, start to think, right, I'm just going to get through this on experience. We've seen a squall before. We've seen this kind of storm. It will pass. No need to, to wake Jesus. And we think that or sometimes we're going to rely on that one person in our life. We kind of look to this person. And maybe that's a spouse or maybe it's a friend or maybe it's your pastor or whatever. And that's fine. It's fine to rely on each other. It's fine to uh, go forward in our own experience and have people like-minded together. And that's brilliant. I encourage that. Life groups, brilliant. Get people in the same room that have experienced different things and you can come together and move forward together. But what I'm trying to get at, and you could come up and preach this sermon, that no one can help you the way Jesus can help you. I have been there. I have been in situations in my life where I have thought, this is it for me. Genuinely thought to myself, I have got nothing left to offer. This is it. I can't go on. And I've got friends. I've got people around me. I've went to people and I've said, would you help me? What do you think about this? And then I've invited God into my life. And little by little, moment by moment, step by step, I've got better. I've got help. Why? Because I got Jesus involved. I went to the bow and I said, Jesus, wake up. I said, Jesus, do you not care that I am perishing? And he's come, and he's come into my life, and he's calmed the raging waves. He's calmed the storm, and he said to it, be quiet. 
If you're in a place right now where you need that to happen in your life, I want to encourage you, talk to someone, get someone involved, pray, ask God to help you, and he will. The Bible says if we look for him, he will be found. Jesus is not hard to find. He asked the disciples quite a a poignant question. It's quite a fun word, isn't it? I'm almost finished, by the way. I'm almost finished. And then we're going to hear uh, a testimony today, which, which will be great. He asks them a, a poignant question. Um, he says, where is your faith? This all happens, and he says, where is your faith? In another parallel version, he says, uh, do you still have no faith? In other words, do you still not know? Do you still not understand? Jesus is like the perfect youth pastor. He's the perfect youth leader. He he turns any situation into a lesson. It's brilliant. He's teaching them in this moment about the importance of faith. Church, do you not know that faith is how we please God? Faith is faith in God, faith in Jesus. Faith is for us that follow Jesus, our most powerful tool. It's when even when we can't see the end, we know it's coming. Even when we can't see the tightrope, we know it's there. Even when we can't see Jesus work in our life, we trust that he is doing something. Faith is what sets us apart from everyone else. Did you know that? It's not our Sunday best or our church lingo. It's our faith that sets us apart from everyone else in the world. It's our our unrelenting trust that God is doing something. It's that even when we can't see it, he's moving. Even when the situation looks like we're, we're dying, it looks like the water's overboard, this looks like the boat is going down, we say, no, 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 we know God is moving, we know Jesus is doing something. It's our faith that is different, it's our faith that sets us apart, and you need to know that. How you talk about your faith in Jesus tells people something about you. It tells people about Jesus. Did you know that? How you talk about church, how you talk about the leaders, how you talk about the worship, it says something about our God. It says something about your faith. So I want to encourage you, start being a person of faith. Start talking about it. Start acting like it. That when mountains start to come in your life, when storms start to come in your life, don't go to your friends and gossip how bad it is and how this is such a terrible thing. Start to talk about how you're going to get through it. Start to talk about how you know God is going to be there for you. How you know God's going to get you through this. That when a storm comes, you know that Jesus can calm it. It's faith. It's our faith. The disciples obviously weren't very read, or well read on the Old Testament. Can I read this psalm to you just really quickly, just a couple of verses? Psalm 89, and I'm going to invite the worship team, oh no, I'm not actually, I'm going to invite Jane just to get herself ready. Psalm 89, uh, if you've got a Bible, you can jump to it quickly. It's not going to be on the screen, you'll just have to listen. The disciples should have been well versed in this, but I think they forgot. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Listen to this. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Church, when we call out to God, when we call out to Jesus, 
even in the midst of a storm, he can get us through it. He's our strength. He's our fortress. He's our protection. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The apostles marvel at this display of Jesus' supernatural ability over the elements. And they have a testimony to tell. We almost died on that boat, but my Jesus. Church, I want to encourage you. Think about what God is doing in your life. What storms has he brought you through? What testimony do you have? Church, Jesus loves you. He's so for you. I'm going to invite Jane to come and share her testimony. And as she comes, oh, you got. Quite excited to share my testimony now because it crosses over a lot um, with what Jack was saying. Um, I actually took Jack's advice before I heard it, and I googled the word the word squall because it is such a good word, and it says that it's a very intense freak storm, the type that you get a red weather warning over the type where the water would be coming at you from all directions, sleet, snow, hail, the works, you know, there's um, storm damage from it and everything. And um, it reminded me of my last testimony. Now, I'm aware that in giving my testimony, I want to talk to you about what God has been doing recently, but I want to use my last testimony that I gave a few years ago during lockdown um, as a starting point. I have struggled with um, mental ill health since I was about 18, and on my third visit to a psychiatric hospital, my marriage was breaking down, and I had a lot of, I just loved my family, I didn't want us to split up, and it was the worst thing that could have possibly have happened to me, and I was extremely ill, so ill that I needed to be heavily sedated on a regular basis. Um, to deal with my agitation and my levels of distress. I had no control over my emotions. It was whatever, I didn't know what was coming next. I didn't know what mood was coming next. It just happened and I was a total victim to it. And one day when I was particularly distressed and surrounded by staff, um, I shouted out to God, where are you? God, where are you? It taken me a long time to come to that point. My head was too messed up to pray in a straight line. And I shouted, God, where are you? And I heard him stay, say, be still. I know that I am God. And although I wasn't immediately healed, I was still in hospital for a good while, um, he stilled my soul. He stilled me. He gave me peace that was exactly how it says in the Bible, peace that was beyond all understanding. And people were beginning to say, Jane, I don't know where you're getting your strength from. And I was like, it's easy, it's God. <laughs> it's God who's given me my strength. Um, Jesus asks his disciples just there when we were reading, where is your faith? And it was a very slow journey for me to learn that faith replaces fear. I was racked with fear. I was racked about the future. I didn't know how I was going to manage on my own. I didn't know how I was going to manage with all that I'd known before, all that familiarity. I didn't know how I was going to manage in a brand new church. I just didn't know, and I was 
so, I was so frightened. <laughs> I was so frightened um, that I didn't know what to do. And bit by bit, as God was saying to me, Jane, be still. I know that I'm God. Be still. I know that I'm God. He was giving me a new faith, and he's still giving me that faith today to say, you are God. This situation absolutely stinks. I'm up to here with it. And yet, God is showing me how to manage it. Um, I liked what Jack said, that after becoming a Christian, things aren't like super sorted, are they? You know, we still have problems. And I was thinking, you know, there's trouble, trauma, tragedy, trials, tribulation, and even trivial. But God's arms are not too short. It says in, somewhere along the line, I think it's in numbers. I don't know why I'm shaking. I'm not nervous. I am emotional, though. Um, here we go. Oh, yeah. The Israelites had a really good moan at Moses, like proper moan, and they were saying, you know, now that we're out in the desert, it's a thousand times worse than Egypt. You know, seriously, what was going on? And Moses prayed um, on behalf of them when they were moaning about the lack of food, or the same food. They were moaning about manna. And Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot. And he's talking to God here. And he says, and you say, I'll give them meat to eat for a whole month. How would they have enough? If flocks and herds were slaughtered for them, would they have enough? If all the fish in the sea were caught, would they have enough? And this kind of makes me laugh. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? And... Um, I remember, I'm sorry to tell a bit of a story like Jack does, but this is quite a good story. But when, um, I'm sorry, Beth, when my girls were younger <laughs> in Highland dancing, um, we were doing like this show and we'd noticed on the list that we'd forgotten a black t-shirt and it just so happened I was a little bit smaller than that had a black t-shirt on, but nothing else to wear to keep me covered. So I borrowed my friend's daughter's cardigan <laughs> And gave Beth my T-shirt. We had to sort of knot it up with a hair bobble and stuff to make it fit. But there was no way I could make this cardigan fit. And I was like a T-Rex. <laughs> and my arms were most definitely too short. And every time I read that in the Bible, I think, God's not a T-Rex. His arms will come and they will reach. They will reach us. They will reach us out of our difficulties. He will reach for us. He reaches out. And I just like proper love that. Okay, in the early days, there were loads of challenges for me that I hadn't faced for a long time. I think in being a marriage, sometimes you sort of get into different roles, and my role was like cooking, school runs, different things, and I had absolutely nothing to do with the finances, the bills, the sort of the important stuff. It was just like, that's not my, my thing. And when I first got out of hospital, I was getting letters from solicitors, bills, um, departments of work and pensions, just everything. And admin is just not my thing. There are a lot of things that are not my thing, actually. But admin's one of my worst. And every time a letter came through the door, I'd be like... <laughs> and um, again, I cried out to God because I didn't know what else to do. And um, I read this. Okay. Right, this is in Kings, and there's a really nasty person called Sennacherib. It could be Sennacherib, I've no idea. And he is having a right pop at the Israelites, or, yeah, the Israelites. And um, he sends them this little letter, because in those days you couldn't sort of 
um, bully on the media and that type of thing. And he says to them, oh, hang on. Hezekiah, has, no, Hezekiah received the letter from the messages and it read like this. Sorry, I'm losing it. Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my predecessors deliver them? What makes you think that your God is going to do anything different? Now, I don't know what your reaction would be when someone challenges your God, but I would be wanting to have a right pop at them. Hezekiah, like the disciples, ran to God. He took the lesser to the temple and he said, have a look at this God, stretched it out. Now, I don't really mind if you think I'm a bit daft. I am, and that's cool. Um, but I got all of the letters, this list of letters and everything, and I put them on my double bed, and I just went, God, <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he helped. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm surprised, but he helped. And some of the, the things that I had to respond to, I had all these ideas of how to do it. I found my dad, he's really sensible and logical. And he had given me his advice too. And God's advice was totally different because his ways aren't our ways. And he's not logical like we are sometimes. And there were times when I felt I needed to react and sort this out straight away and take a proactive approach. And God was saying, be still. I know that I'm God. Just wait on that a little bit. Stop reacting and listen to me. And that like totally changed my ways. Right, what am I up to now? Okay. <laughs> coming to this church, it is weird coming to a new church when suddenly you don't have a role, nobody knows you, and it's just a little bit strange. And in the early days, because I was unwell, I couldn't manage a full service. And um, I cried a lot. And sometimes I would only make it like for 15 minutes. And I don't know how God did it, but he did. Even in that short time, he ministered to me. He did something in that short time, even though I can't tell you what was spoken, what was prayed, what was worshipped, God met me, and I just thought it was so important to go to church, and I remember um, quite early on when I was there, Jim Ritchie had felt called in the morning to have an evening service that was going to be a healing service, and I really couldn't stop crying the whole time. I was crying in thanks to God. I was crying because I was worried. I was crying because I was sad. I was crying because I was still a little bit ill. And my eyelids were actually really sore. And um, like they stung every time I cried, not because of her gel, because I'm not a poser. And, um, <laughs> and um, I thought, I'm going to go up for healing to, to ask God to stop me from crying. And then, Fred, you had a word, don't know whether you remember, probably not, but you got up and you said, um, I've just had a word from God that it's okay to cry. And I was like, well, thank the Lord because I'm such a crier. And I still am. I cry really easy, but I think it's because the Lord has made my heart soft and so tuned into him. But sometimes you just swell up and you've just got to go with it, you know, it's just, just how it is. <laughs> okay, um, now I'm going to miss that bit out. Oh, yeah, the importance of church. Um, I started getting involved in my life group, in my home group, and the study was absolutely brilliant. It was always good, always a delight to go. But it was often like the little nuggets that people would say that were almost nothing to do with the Bible study sometimes. 
and someone's phone kept going off the whole time, and it was reminders to pray for people. And um, she was, wasn't the only one who did that, but when someone asked her to pray, she would pray. And I was really convicted that if someone asked me to pray, I'd just not go, yeah, sure, that's fine, I'll definitely pray for you, and then let it go up my head. But I was convicted to make sure that when I say that I will pray for someone, I will pray. But it also gave me security that I knew when I asked these people in my life group to pray for me, they would pray. And more than that, God would answer. And he would do things that I never expected him to do. Um, and the other thing, and again, it crosses over with Jack's sermon about not doing anything alone. But one of our foster mums is in the life group. And she said, I felt so called to be a foster mum. Um, but I also felt called to ask for help that this wasn't something I could do on my own. And it just sort of went right there for me. I've got to ask people for help to be able to survive this world in a world that doesn't want us to see God's blessings, that caves in on us, where we've got the squall going the whole time. I need help to walk in this world with other Christians. Um, and also God blessed me by giving me tiny bits of responsibility in church. Now and again, I'd get to do a little bit of catering, make a little bit of soup for, for something or another, um, be an assistant in Sunday school, and more recently help out with the recovery cafe. And see, with Sunday school, um, no matter what mood I'm in, every time I go through there, there is a blessing. <laughs> and sometimes it's just a blessing of joy. Like there was one kid when I was doing the register, and he refused to be called by his name for the entire lesson. He wanted to be called Bob. And it just, and I called him Bob all the way through. He called me James. And it just made me, like, giggle the whole time, and that is God's joy. You know, it's just like so innocent. It's like, hey, Bob, hey, James, you know, and all the time. And that was brilliant. And there's other times I've heard kids pray for family members that aren't saved, and you've been like, wow, you know, there's always a blessing in serving, but also God built up my esteem, my esteem in him, my esteem in me, because he was giving me these little bits of responsibility. And as for the Recovery Cafe, honestly, it's amazing. We have service users who come in who've got various addictions. Some of them haven't. Some of them just have a hard life, need a bit of company, whatever, and it actually doesn't matter. I love the team that I'm working with. They love me. They love the people. And in loving the people, they are testifying to me the strength of God. And they are blessing me and blessing them. And the blessing just keeps going and going and going. And it's like amazing. I love cooking for everyone, which is like God is using me according to my strengths. I love that. I love eating other people's food when they cook. Love that. And there's just blessing and blessing and blessing. And I'm not here to preach and give them a testimony, but a tiny little bit. It's that if you feel a little bit on the outskirts of church, ask God where, what you can do. Because there's a place, there's always a place for you. And in giving and in serving, you're just going to get blessed and become a member of the family. And it's fantastic. Okay, I haven't got much more to go. Um, right, I am not, I'm absolutely not, look at me, Jack and Ian and Chris and Emma. I am not looking to big up the pastors here. I'm looking to big up God. Not that he needs bigging up, but... The quality of the sermons and the worship in this church are amazing. And again, I don't know whether you remember when Jim Ritchie had gone on sabbatical and he came back again. And after seven months, he said he traveled to various churches and stuff. And it was a rarity to have good teaching 
and good praise and worship, both of them in the same church. And I agree. And I think, you know, the quality of sermons have just been fantastic. And if you've missed any, I'm just going to tell you some of the ones that I've been blessed on. The, the name of Jesus, we were singing it, but there was a whole series on the power of the name of Jesus. Putting on the armor of God, absolutely amazing. I love that series. Um, I wrote something else down as well. Oh, yeah, there was one sermon that Jeff Williams did on joy, which was so well balanced, but, and yet it explained joy in God so well. And it was also quite humorous. And he mentioned the poor foot football team so it's like tick 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 the whole way through and um you know you can go back and listen to these and just recently i had someone in our recovery um group team say i'm going to go back and listen to the sermons that jim gave a while ago on revelation and we've got all of these resources and this is what god is doing to me he's saying don't just cut off listen to all of these blessings that you've got around you listen to sermons and sometimes i'm still not entirely well and I come here with brain fog, and I don't want to be here, and yet God has prompted me to be. And it's not because I'm more holy than you, might be, does it? Um, <laughs> it's because that I lose my concentration really easily, and I take notes, and that helps me. And um, I can go back and read the notes in case I've missed anything. So, you know, God has been teaching me how to sort of work around my weaknesses and my tendencies. Um, and like I said, I'm not all that, but it's God who gives me strength. <laughs> and there are days that I'm so tired that I can't do anything, that I'm on meds. Um, I get help from the mental health team still. Um, I have to have outside help helping me to keep on top of the house. And I also have to, and this is like a real discipline for me. Now, discipline is not what I used to think it is, where, you know, you get sort of knocked seven bells out of you, or you get marched to the purple chairs outside your head teacher's office, or you get your technology taken off you, or you have to face the wall. God's discipline is because he loves us. And he's so gentle with it. I'm going to cry. <laughs> I'm activating. <laughs> um, he is so gentle with his discipline. And he has taught me to listen to faith to listen to the voice of faith instead of the voice of fear. And I have to do that daily. And in lockdown, sorry, I'm going on a little bit, but I've got so much to tell you. I'll finish it in a minute. But in lockdown, um, one of the good things about lockdown was that we could listen to other people's churches online. And I listened to the recovery church um, down the Parkhead area. And there was one guy who was speaking. He'd only been a Christian for eight months. He'd only been off drugs for eight months. And he was speaking like a mature Christian. And he said, if I don't get down on my knees every morning and ask God to help me, I won't get through that day. And I was thinking, I've been a Christian since I was 18. It wasn't that long ago. And um, I still don't always get down on my knees and say, God, I can't get through this day without you. I don't have that dependence. And God was saying, you need that dependence. You need God no less than he does. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you know, he's taught me that. Um, the disciples asked, who is this that even the winds and waves obey? And I ask, who is this that has put an ex-psychiatric student, um, ex-psychiatric patient in front of you speaking with confidence? Who is this that allows 
this to happen, and it's God. He has changed me. He's given me the confidence. He has just changed my whole view on life, and that's my testimony. Thank you.